I was fortunate to have uh, Chris Coulter on the It's Not a Straight Line podcast. And, you know, what you're going to learn from this discussion is Chris had a very successful business in the office furniture space, and it got all the way to $35 million in revenue. And then they had to declare bankruptcy. They went through the 2008 financial crisis and in 2010 determined they were no longer having fun. And the business wasn't doing well. It wasn't in a financially healthy position. And that was tough. You know, Chris also went through what he called uh, an ugly divorce. And, you know, he had personal depression challenges that we speak about. He has had great ups and great downs, uh, you know, from building a business to 35 million to, you know, having, he has a lot of confidence uh, and he had an ego in his early twenties. And I believe that that has, you know, so, so he doesn't have that ego anymore for sure. Uh, he speaks about depression openly, which I describe for a man that looks like him isn't something you'd normally see very often. It continues to help when people like him speak about depression, and anxiety, get rid of this stigma that we've, we've created in the world over time. That definitely is is you know subsiding, but it it's very much still still here. Um, you know, he had the loss of a fourteen year old daughter to suicide. His daughter Maddie. So when he speaks about his kids, he has two sons and one one daughter who's an angel. And you know, no one can imagine unless you've been through that what it's like to have a daughter commit suicide. Uh, she was 14 and she she was on a day pass uh, from from North York General, as you'll hear. His writing after her her passing was what helped with self-healing. And, you know, he said that, you know, you have to be somewhat polarizing for people to pay attention. And he wasn't trying to do that intentionally, but some people were like, oh, you should just move on, get over it. And other people were like, this is so incredibly helpful. I'm going through something very similar with my daughter who's dealing with depression or my son. It just stuck out to me that, you know, at age 11, Maddie, his daughter, her social media use, whether it got a lot of likes on a picture or not enough really affects mood. And it makes you realize, you know, the true, the true evil to social media there's also many, many, many positives to social media. So I'm not going to say that we should get rid of social media. We shouldn't, but it has a profound effect, especially on people's brains that are not yet developed or, you know, they're, they're only 11 in, in this case, Maddie was only 11, you know, and, and he also speaks about how to be a good friend or family member when someone, you know, has lost someone close to them through suicide or through any sudden sudden passing. Man, he really did say, you know, you really figure out who's loyal and who's sticking by you when you're going through adversity. You figure out who your friends are. So, you know, this this episode is powerful. It does get emotional. Uh, and I know Chris added value and will continue to add value. And you should really check out his organization that he's co-executive director of called How Are You Feeling? He's trying to get it into more schools, into the curriculum to help uh, teens and kids understand their emotional emotions better and their feelings better. And, and I truly believe in what he's trying to create. So enjoy. 
Hey, I'm Jordan Harding. I grew up watching my dad put on that suit and tie every morning and go out to successfully climb the corporate ladder. I thought I wanted to be him, but I was wrong. I needed to be me. To do that, I had conversations with incredible people to learn how they figured out this whole thing called life. I learned how they overcome adversity and pick themselves up when they've been knocked down. Now, I'm sharing those discussions with you so you can apply those same learnings to your life. Welcome to It's Not a Straight Line. Today on It's Not a Straight Line, I am honored to be with Chris Coulter. Chris is the co-executive director of How Are You Feeling? He's the president of the Finish Line Group. Uh, Formerly, he was the president of a business called the Summerlee Office Solutions, Inc. Summerlee Office Solutions, Inc. I have learned that he was a pretty great rugby player in his day probably could get back on the pitch now uh don mayo (laughs) might have something to say about that but uh you know chris also we're going to speak about in your mid 40s you actually went through a divorce if i have it right and you were in the midst of i think starting your own business at that time i i know there's been some ups and downs with your business career as well as your family your personal life and you have a lot to offer. So I truly appreciate you you taking the time to to get to know the listener here and pass on some value. So thanks for being here. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me. You know, you laughed at the rugby comment just for fun. We all love, or a lot of us love sport. Why, why did you laugh at that comment? You, you were, were you not a pretty good rugby player in your day? <laughs> I was okay. I was not great. Um, I think uh, you kind of reflect uh, back on your um, your athletic prowess or what you thought you were, um, we we all had big egos back then. That's for sure. We we thought we were a great rugby team, and I and we did. We had we had a great dynamic, and it was probably my first uh, experience um, with a really tight knit team. Uh, and we had I been involved in different sports all my life but I think that that experience probably really resonated with me and I think that um that truly was a reflection of what an amazing team can look like yeah I do find it so interesting to look back at you know not everyone likes sport or plays sport and I understand that but I do think those that do understand how much of it impact or learning it can have on your future life is that fair to say yeah absolutely so i want to go back i want to learn a little bit about you you know maybe in your college university years uh in your first career um i think you told your boss one time did you say go fuck yourself can we speak about that what were you like early in your career chris i think uh the funny thing about coming out of university you think you've got all this wisdom, <laughs> albeit in a a BA in, in political science. Um, you think you are smarter than everyone else, or I did. I, I didn't lack ego back then, let's put it that way. I think ego is great, but I think it also it needs to be tapped. And from a confidence standpoint, confidence does, uh, it, it helps you in your career. Uh, but being overconfident can be a career killer as well. And I think that also it, it, it 
it can be addressed in how you approach people and how empathetic and compassionate you are as a leader. So from from my standpoint, I think uh, I wish I'd been a little bit more humble back in the day. I was going to say, what do you think gave you that confidence so early on? Did it have something to do with your parents, your environment? No, I don't. I don't know. I think I, I think I've always been fairly confident. Um, sometimes justly or unjustly, I, I don't know what gave me the confidence. Uh, my my parents were both very. My dad's very has so much humility. He's mm. uh, a phenomenal person to uh, to kind of model your 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 demeanor after. Um, but I didn't have his humility. I think it's uh, it's just something over time that you you realize from your mistakes. And I'll talk about mistakes a lot because I've made several. Um, and I, I think mis- mistakes should be encouraged, uh, provided that you actually learn from them. And I think uh, sometimes I'm a little slow to 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 actually uh, realize it, but uh, I've learned a lot from my mistakes, and I think it's you have to do an adjustment in course of your career and your life based upon those as well. And was the comment I made about what you actually told your boss was that was that true or was that mis- me mishearing? No, it was true. Uh, I think uh, it was it was something that I felt I was unjustly I had something unjustly taken from me. It basically mm-hmm. it stemmed from a, a promotion that I received in the first job after university. It was at a group insurance company, and I was the number one rep in my my manager or supervisor had taken me aside and said, hey, uh, I'm going to promote you. And then he promptly resigned and did, clearly didn't say anything to anyone else. So I went to his boss, or who was then my boss, and told him that uh, I said, hey, Glenn's, Glenn told me I was going to get this promotion. I just wanted to see when that was going to happen. And he said to me, I'll give you a, a, a promotion if and when I see fit. And I just looked at him and it was a little brazen, a little arrogant. And I said, you can go fuck yourself. And I more, I guess, whether I said I quit or, or it was an implied, it, it, uh, surprisingly, I didn't, I didn't get fired on the spot. <laughs> But uh, yeah, my my tactfulness early on sometimes would have uh, probably got the best of, or my lack of tact would have probably got the best of me. But I I think if there's a if there's a defining point in your career which said I'm going in a different direction, I think it that was it, and that kind of pushed me to feel I couldn't work for a corporation uh that i had to do based my successes based upon my own merit and my own doing and i couldn't rely upon someone else for it well and that's the important important point and i want to be clear like when i brought that up i what any the listener i i'm not saying that's that's the way you should approach it i chris is not saying that as well but <laughs> the part i wanted to dig into was that obviously set you on a different path 
And I would also like to hear like, as it set you on a different path, you kind of mentioned it, but what was the learning there and how were you feeling as somebody who was told they would get a promotion and then it was like, sorry, that person's moved on your, your SOL. Yeah. Um, yeah, you feel betrayed, you feel cheated. Um, you feel somewhat jaded that you're just a number you're expendable, whether that was right or wrong, or just my opinion in the moment. Um, I interpreted it as I, as I did, I think I was probably a little speak first, think later. Uh, when I, uh, when I first came out of school and for various parts of my career, uh, you kind of learn that the inverse of that is probably the better, more political way to actually approach a situation. Pause before you speak. <laughs> Have you been told that once or twice by a friend or two or never? O- only only once because I, I learned first time from all my mistakes, Jordan. That's right. <laughs> so how did that set you on a different path if we do focus in on the career for up for a little bit here? Like, Yep. You, Summerly Office Solutions, if I'm right, you spent a fair amount of time there. What kind of attracted you to that space? If you kind of give us the 30 seconds on what type of business that was. It was an office furniture company. So we outfitted companies that were in the midst of relocating, revamping uh, their space. I didn't know anything about it. I was approached by someone up, actually up in my parents' cottage said, hey, I think you might like this. So I, so I, I actually I went and worked for a couple of companies and uh, ended up um, working with Summerly. And uh, truth be told, <laughs> I can't remember if I told you this when we spoke before, but it was like this really hot receptionist that kind of tilted <laughs> the scales in in favor of that i had a few different companies that i was talking to and uh i ended up yeah i i, I followed uh followed an attractive uh, an attractive blonde sitting at reception which is i will never endorse that as a good practice for someone's career but in my case it turned it out turned out to be pretty good um i told my 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 future business partner at her 60th birthday party, I told her that story about why why my real reason in enjoying her, uh, as fortuitous as it ended up being, uh, but she thought it was pretty hilarious. And just how how what tip what tips the scales one way or the other as far as some of our decision making? Uh, yeah, I've made made better decisions on on better uh, on better criteria since then fortunately so so that person ended up becoming a business partner in this with you that the, original was it the executive assistant you said or the reception oh no, no 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 that was oh that, that was, was a different was, business partner she just wanted to know got it yeah yeah so she actually interviewed she interviewed me and i originally i just was coming on board as a salesperson and uh and then the person who hired me ultimately, uh, we became business partners. She asked me to become a business partner, but two or three years later. So 
So yes, a, a dumb rationale in joining an organization had positive consequences, but not because of that, not because of that decision. And Chris, it seems like for a lot of years, and maybe you can mention how many years you were with this organization, like things were successful, you were doing well. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, how did it work out? Did you have an exit out of this company? You know, how did things go? You definitely, I assume, had an ownership stake. Yeah. Um, ultimately, uh Noreen, uh, my old, my former business partner asked me if I wanted to join and I was like, okay, sure. Sounds cool. Yeah. I get to be the boss. I get to be the boss. And it was, uh, there's a lot of, you, you go from basically having, and I'll say very few responsibilities because I was young, I was single. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden, I think it was probably, it appealed more to my ego at the time than, and I thought, well, if you're the boss, that makes you, you get to make the decisions, you make tens of money. And, uh, and we, we did well as an organization, but also learned that we, in order to do the things that we wanted to do with the company, I came on board, we were about a $2 million business. Uh -huh. and, and Noreen and I, when we became partners, we said we, we want to get it to uh, to be however big we got it. And we ended up we ended up getting it to thirty five million. And wow, we had we had some great people um, that helped us get us there for sure. But it's a. Yeah, we we had lofty aspirations, but we ended up sinking all of our money back into the business. So I had we had lots of retained earnings, but as we grew, we also grew our, our salaries, our expenses. So the consequences, if we weren't doing well, also were pretty dire if, uh, if the economy turned. And we did really well for about 15 years. And then 2008 happened. And we ended up uh, burning through a ton of our cash. We had 70 employees. We, we learned that we had to pare down, but at the same time, we didn't, we didn't respond as quickly as we, we should have. And the other thing that we did is we were, we were eternally optimistic. We thought we could turn this thing around and we continued to throw more money and energy uh, at this thing and then when we realized it was too little too late or we uh, we ended up sitting down for in february or i guess it was january 2010 having sushi having a sushi lunch and just i remember noreen saying to me are you having fun anymore i went no i haven't for a while mm -hmm. and i said how about you and she said no i'm not and then as he said, why are we doing this? And so over sushi, we decided to close the business. And we'd already gone through a shitload of our, our capital that we had in there. Um, it was a very disheartening and discouraging time of our time of my life i'm sure it was it wasn't great for Nurian either um because a lot of people the one thing i learned and 
I've had some mentors over the year, years, and said, you, you are more, more or less a beacon of, uh, of what the, how the company is doing. You're, you're the barometer for, for how the company is doing. So people look to you uh, for safety and security. And we couldn't show that vulnerability. I'd love to say, listen, guys, go out, get another job somewhere else because you don't want to go down with the ship. But at the same yeah. time, um, I was I was coming home every night trying to be as optimistic and positive as I could be. And well, quite frankly, I, I, I did not let my, I didn't let my ex wife know things were as bad as they were because uh, I didn't want to show that I didn't want to show that I'd failed the family yeah. and it was uh, there was there was pride but also there was it was probably I felt like I was a failure as a, a husband and a father and a provider did you say you wanted me to get vulnerable today Let's do it. I mean, yeah, that's what I think is so valuable in this episode. And, you know, the listeners are going to find just so many lessons in here. There's a few things that I wanted to touch on. You spoke about how the business was 2 million and you wanted to create targets and you eventually got 35 million. Did you have a, what was your target? Did you think it could ever get 35 million? I, I, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't have an idea as to how big we could get it. I think we had, we had great potential. One thing I recognized with um, Noreen and I brought the importance of bringing different skill sets and different strengths as a leadership team. She was the kind, compassionate, she was a great salesperson because clients trusted her uh, implicitly and she, she was, true to her nature she was like integrity was everything so and then i've got this sort of like her kid brother who kind of a little bit more brash a little bit more spontaneous a little bit more fly by the seat of your pants um and she was great she gave me a lot of rope to hang myself but she also knew when to pull in pull in that rope and say, okay, all right, we're not going to do it this way today. But she gave me a lot of latitude as far as um, being able to sort of test my test my my wings and and see. She wasn't afraid for me to make mistakes, mm. provided it wasn't completely dire. But it's going back to your point. Um, did we see we could get to 30, 30 plus million? Um, I thought there was potential for it. And uh, we brought in some really great people. But the problem was when we got to 35 million, and this is an important distinction, size, size isn't that important um, because our net profit at the end of the day was the exact same. We were probably, um, our net profit was about a million bucks. And our net profit when we were a $10 million company was a million bucks. The problem is you have three times more headaches and worries for the exact same amount of money. It does not make sense. So growth or 
Growth for the sake of growth is not a good thing. Growth for the sake of profit is a very important thing. How many people did you have at, at that time? We had 70, 70 plus people. Wow. And I mean, so you, you that's a very important distinction. You, you grew the top line though. Was there one or two things that really helped you drive that top line? Were you just great at relationships and sales or? No, I think we, I think we had, we had some really good salespeople. We have some really great accounts. We had some great supplier partnerships, Mm. which, um, which really helped us. But I think, you know what, you, we are always trying to do things differently. I Mm. always looked at the furniture model. This is, this is a fucked up model. Let's see Let's see if we can actually recreate it, re-engineer it. So it's not, everything is predicated on, a, on, a, on something called deficiencies. Your success is based upon deficiencies. Like that's a negative KPI. Wow. Yeah, right? I've never thought about that. So it's, if, if we got rid of so many of these deficiencies or if we were more operationally excellent, oh, we could have made so much more money. And uh, the problem is it, it is just a industry that's riddled with mistakes and errors. And I found that to be unjustifiable. And so Noreen and I, we wanted to be operationally excellent. <laughs> the, the more we tried, <laughs> I think the worse we got at it. But it was, that was, that we aspired to, aspired to get there. We probably didn't necessarily have the right people in the right seat in the bus. Um, but, uh, we were both, we both were, were loyal and, and had a lot of hope that we could do it. So anyway. And are you in, it sounds like you and Noreen, even after the business kind of went through, you know, dissolving, you're still good, good friends. Are you still? Yeah. Yeah, we are. Um, we, Noreen and her husband and I, albeit, we went through a, a pretty shitty thing for a lot of close relationships to go through. Uh, they've been unbelievably supportive of me um, before and after. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful to, to both Maureen and her husband, Michael, uh, yeah. because they, they've been a pillar of support through a lot of my ups and downs. So, and uh, it, it is, it is, it is funny what you see um, in human nature about about people, and you see you see true greatness in people when you go through adversity. Personally, you see who your loyal friends are, and I, I truly mean that. You really see who are who are a hundred percent behind you, come hell or high water, good times or bad. And those are hard to find. And so did, did you have to declare bankruptcy for the business or how did it end? Were you able to sell it? No, we weren't able to sell it. I tried, I tried pitching it to commercial real estate companies saying, listen, this could be an awesome sort of one, two punch. If you, for every single square foot that you guys lease, there's $30 of, of furniture that sits on it. And I had some very curious 
CEOs of some of these commercial real estate companies, but it was too little, too late. And then 2008 happened. Yeah. And it was, all right, we're, we're kind of redefining the direction and what's important. We're capping all major capital expenditures and acquisitions. So you mentioned Chris about finding out, you know, who, who's, um, loyal you were going through a rough rough time with the business um how was your kind of your personal life at the time i i know you you have three kids you have two sons i believe right now um you know how how was it how old were your kids at the time and was it was it difficult for them to understand were they too young and i assume now you do speak to you will speak about the lessons you've learned to, to the future generation. Yeah. Um, as far as, are you talking about sort of losing my business, like declaring bankruptcy yeah. and yeah, the kids were pretty young at that point in time. So my youngest would have been around five. Um, my, uh, my middle son would have been around eight uh, and eight or nine. And Maddie would have been around, uh, nine or ten yeah so did they learn yeah why is dad not going to the office anymore <laughs> dad why are you spending so much time with us in the morning <laughs> and were you okay uh, personally from a financial standpoint or did this really affect like everything like i'm not sure did you have many savings it might not even be something you want to talk about but yeah well no i'm i'm hey we're going to be vulnerable. We're going to be vulnerable. Right? <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Hey, we throw, uh, we, we did really well, even though we, even though we did really well as a business for 15 of 18 years, um, we kept throwing money back into the business. And the problem is it's kind of like, okay, when do I get to make a withdrawal? When do I make it? I was like, and meanwhile, we had three kids, so uh, my my wife at the time, uh, she was on maternity leave. She took uh, some cases. She she took an extended maternity, and other times with my youngest, things weren't as good. So she went back to work almost immediately, and that's unfortunately the sign of the times and life of, of an entrepreneur, the ups and downs of it. So as far as I can't even remember. Sorry, I can't even remember the, the question you asked originally, Jordan. Well, I just, you know, your kids, they weren't seeing you go to work, like, you know, and I was yeah. just, I, I know that, um, you know, I was saying, did it affect you very much from a personal finance standpoint, or did you have a lot of, you know, saving the bank where yeah. your kids were like, oh, dad's off, but we're still okay. I mean, they probably yeah. didn't even know at that time. Yeah, they were, it was seamless to them. I think yeah. they, they never, they never did without. And from, but what, because we ended up sinking so much money into back into the business, I never really took money out. I, I, I did, I took an okay salary, um, but it's not like we bonused each other out. Um, so that was, that was, that was tough. Um, I think the, the bigger issue for me was what am I going to do next? Yeah. I, I didn't love the furniture business. I, lo I fell out of love with it. 
uh, I think probably because of all the the challenges that uh, that I faced with it, um, and I wanted to try something new, and I didn't know what at that point in time, but I ended up saying I'm not going in. I had a couple of senior management opportunities at other other furniture companies, but didn't do it for me. Yeah. It's when you kind of run your own show for for a long time and then going to work for someone else, you better hope you love what you do a lot. And I, I knew I wouldn't find that in the furniture business. So someone approached me, someone who I actually brought in to look at uh, eliminating our employee benefit costs, um, someone that I, I, I did triathlons with. Um, and he said, "Hey, why don't you why don't you come and uh, help me build my business in Toronto?" I said, "Well, I kind of know what you do, but I'm not sure. I'm not trained to do it." He said, "Don't worry about it. Um, we'll 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 make something happen." And I think that is where I didn't know enough about the business. I knew mm-hmm. about it as as a service that we had as a company, but I didn't know about selling it. Um, it was a pretty, com- there was a pretty compelling value differentiation that this company had over some others that I had been exposed to, but I didn't do a really deep dive into it. Uh, and I realized that, you know what, it is difficult to work for someone, especially mm. if they don't have, they don't have the same values or, or don't hold the same values as, as, as near and dear as you did. One was respect of employees. We always had a very, um, we always had a very loyal employee base and largely because of Noreen and her demeanor. Um, but this company I worked for, it was terrible to their employees. They were borderline abusive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how, how draconian is this? Uh, and we, uh, so I ended up getting having some challenges just philosophically with them right, right out of the gate. So I worked there for three years, picked up some, some knowledge, and then I, I left and went and started up my own business. And that was the finish line group. It, it, it eventually morphed into event. the finish line group. Yeah. It, it, initially it was employee benefits. And then I realized, how do I take all this experience, all these, this negative energy that, I had as a as the owner of Summerly, and how do I help other business owners not make the same mistake that I made? From a from creditor protection, how do you minimize your taxes? How do you protect your protect yourselves? And so that's uh, so it, it eventually morphed into the Finish Line Group, um, where I where I I, I helped entrepreneurs and business owners um, with the financial, emotional, and philanthropic stuff um, as, it, as it relates to themselves and their businesses. So, And were companies pretty open to, or business owners pretty open to, to you pitching that service and offering? Like, was it, it's never easy, but was it, were people like, yes, I would love your perspective and advice? Yeah, I, I and a lot of these relationships stem back years and years and years. It predated 
predated the, the world that I'm in now. But yes. it uh, it definitely um, there's a lot of relationships I I I I'd had over the years, um, and then also uh, attracted a bunch of new people, and it was it was something that I learned I learned the hard way about how to market market yourself. I'd really being part of a company and we were successful in spite of ourselves. I think sometimes at Summerlee, obviously there was a lot of strategy and things that went into it, but all of a sudden I was like, I was the CEO and the janitor as the old adage goes and had to do everything. And because I didn't walk away from my last business with a ton of cash, uh, I had to do it on a shoestring, shoestring budget. Um, that was, uh, certainly challenging, especially, um, I should probably talk about the fact that as we were going through all these ups and downs with, uh, Summerlee, I also was battling, battling, um, depression. And exactly, you were personally, I personally was, uh, it, it, I went and was referred to someone and Oh yeah, you're depressed. <laughs> so ended up, uh, and that's and that's a that's an interesting and, journey. And you were chuckling there a bit, and I've been there too. I told you I I've struggled with anxiety and depression in my path, but in my past. But uh, did you chuckle there because you knew you were probably clinically depressed or had some anxiety, or did you chuckle there because you thought it was an easy way to diagnose somebody at the time well i think it's uh i i couldn't believe first of all mm. that i had depression how can i have depression um and i i since realized that you know what just because you are one way one day and all of a sudden you fall on hard times you not everyone has the same resiliency not every everyone has the same ability to kind of sort of sort of saddle up and 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 move on. Um, it's tough. It takes a lot of your mental wherewithal. And yes, going through going through the the demise of your business, watching your personal your personal net worth diminishing on a day by day basis, seeing your family kind of eroding or your marriage eroding sometimes you, you you look at the guy in the mirror and you go how the fuck did i make let this happen and and sometimes some things are preventable you can mitigate against some stuff and other stuff it's just like you know what shit happens you just you, but i but i also i will take whatever responsibility i i take responsibility for um for for all aspects of it at least a part a part of it for sure um which is is humbling and uh but i think that's also the first sign to to moving 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 on and moving forward and so chris for the listener like i look at you and i've never met you in person i assume you're pretty uh, uh you know a taller guy or physically fit guy uh maybe not like you were in your twenties, but 
<laughs> but uh, you know, you've got that demeanor of a real male's male. Um, and I think it probably has to do with what you've gone through. And I, I would like to speak about your daughter, Maddie, who's passed on. Um, but I think it's pretty courageous and just, it's just really good to see someone like you say, who had confidence or who has confidence and, an, you know, said how he had an ego say like, Hey, I was, I was depressed uh, because, you know, the stigmas, stigmas really going to the wayside, but it's still there. It's still hard for people to admit that to an employer or to a, to a partner or their kids. And, and so you saying that, and I know, you know, let, let's speak about mental health and, you know, you're now the, the co-founder, co-executive director of how are you feeling? Can you speak a little bit about your daughter, Maddie's journey and, and how you kind of, you know, have become that person that's, were you always okay saying, Hey, I was diagnosed with depression? No, hell no. Um, that even when I was told I had depression, I didn't want to believe it. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's about i guess your own facing your own vulnerabilities and accepting it but not accepting it's a life sentence it's a moment in time mm. provided you do the work to to ensure that you're on a better path and you go through a whole bunch of shit happening in your life and you kind of you you you've got to own it said you have to own it and i think you know, you said it's a moment in time provided you can, you can do the work. And, and I think that that's an important point because, you know, at least I remember when, when I was diagnosed, I think a lot of people think this too, you're in a place where you, you really don't think it's a moment in time. It's at times it's really hard to see anything positive. Uh, I, I kind of do the gratitude test. And that's something that I wasn't, I wasn't grateful for a long time. I, you learn to be grateful. Um, and I think gratitude is such an, an important trait. Um, genuine gratitude. Everyone goes, I love you, man. You're awesome. I'm so grateful for you. Um, but it is something that's it's really important for me um, to do that test. And aside from kind of your kids, what else are you grateful for? And yeah. to do, sometimes you gotta, sometimes you gotta ask tougher questions and sometimes you've got to realize that it, it may not be something you're grateful for now, but what could you be grateful for in the future? So not looking at yourself in present tense, but future tense. And I, I always say this to my kids and they'll probably throw up in their mouths every time they hear it, but I go, current state does not equal future state. And I think you have to hold on to that belief because especially from a depressed standpoint, because uh, if you didn't have optimism as an overriding um, ultimate goal and a change in how you feel, then it is a death sentence. It is a life sentence. Um, you got to believe that you can pull out of this thing. Um, even though there are a lot of days that you wake up and you go, 
I'm, I'm not sure how I feel. I'm not sure if this is a, this is a good thing ultimately, or, or if this is something I'm going to be able to pull out of. So um, I look back now, cause I'm, I'm not to say that I'm completely out of the woods. I, I have my moments and sure. we, uh, so I'll, I'll talk about my daughter, Maddie, um, because you, you asked that question way back when. So my my daughter Maddie, she's my eldest eldest child, uh, first first girl in our family, and she was impacted by our divorce. I think probably more so than either of the other two kids. A, she was more mature, but I think she was just also much more aware. Um, saddled with a, a, a pretty ugly divorce. And as much as we tried to keep everything as professional and shield the kids from it, I think ultimately she was she was impacted by it. We switched her out of schools. She moved, which for an 11 year old, that takes um, a big a big toll when parents divorce, and especially girls. Social media is something that they cling to, um, and social media, I will say. As, as good as some things are about it, there's a lot of negative, there's a lot of detractors and she was obviously impacted by it. Um, I'd see her moods go up and down depending upon how, how, much, how well a post of hers did. Mm. Anyway. Um, as an 11 year old. As an 11 year old. Wow. And, and then moving back and forth um, between her mom's house and my house, it just kind of, adds to the uncertainty and uncertainty is something that kids don't want. Kids don't like, um, they want, they want that. They want certainty in their life. We all want certainty as individuals. Yeah, right? we do. Yeah. So when we ended up, um, ultimately, um, Maddie changed schools and then she was, uh, so which meant new friends and, and everything else. She wasn't excelling like she normally was. Um, we ended up uh, we ended up going through a, a couple of bouts of depression and, and her being at North York General Hospital in the in the youth mental health unit. Um, and she was let out on she was an, a, a day patient, mm. and we'd already taken her out at school. This was like a timeline of about April. This is April of 20, uh, 2015. and she ended up um going out and uh anyway we ended up we lost her to suicide in april on april 11th 2015 so uh that was uh that was one of those things as a parent as as a, as a human being it's you just don't recover from you never recover from it. so i will always have Boats of depression, boats of sadness, um, boats of anxiety, um, because of sustaining that loss to Maddie. But that being said, she's also my guiding light, and um, she's my sort of my beacon in the in the sun sunrise um, to 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 keep going and keep making things better. And Chris, so what was you know, I, when we spoke previously, you spoke a lot about writing, but 
if anyone is listening to this who's you know going through something like that uh, what what were maybe some of the things that were your guiding light to get to get to where you are today as hard as it was um i did i i wrote a lot i did a lot of writing and i didn't write it just strictly for myself i wrote i wrote it to share about our experiences with maddie um because i know that a lot of parents are going through similar stuff with their with their teenagers um and then when i started to post some of the stuff i started getting a lot of private messages from people saying thanks very much for writing about a talking about my depression openly but also uh, speaking about yours openly i was talking about my depression openly yeah. um but also but also what we were dealing with and what we went through with maddie and then uh, because so many people would reach out and go, wow, I can't believe um, this is what I'm experiencing with my child right now. Um, any suggestions or coaching or anything along that line. So a lot, I continued to write and, and um, my ex started up a, um, a, a, an organization called the Maddie Project which was about bringing awareness to youth mental health and mm -hmm. obviously in our in our in our daughter's name and he's nicole's managed to raise millions of dollars for some incredible causes and all in the name of youth mental health so i i support it i i supported it um by writing about it but i couldn't be involved with it i wasn't emotionally mm -hmm. ready I wasn't emotionally capable. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't help but just try to figure out what was going on in my own head, let alone try to take on a big initiative like, uh, like starting something like that. And I also had my own business, my other business to run, which I didn't know how the hell I was going to manage to do that. So um, I just found it to be too overwhelming for me at the at the time. My way of dealing with it was was writing because it was cathartic. Um, but also, talk, I talked to a number of parents, um, and they shared a lot of their challenges with their with their kids, um, which I also found to be helpful. It brought it all back home, but I think it was more therapeutic ultimately than anything else for me were you much of a writer or journal like a journal person before or did you find this no. as it no i i didn't think you might have been yeah but. yeah yeah no i didn't do my daily uh, journal entries or anything like that it was uh yeah no i i always liked writing i thought it was okay at it but uh if this was a new outlet for me and I, uh, it, it helped me truly express what I was unable to articulate myself. Wow. And, and where would you post these, like, as a blog associated with the Maddie yeah. project? Would you just put it out on a Facebook post? Like, how did yeah, you that was, Yeah, that was typically how I do it. I'd, pu I'd put it out through Facebook. And then, um, and then I, I kept it very personal, so I, as personal as Facebook is. Um, mm -hmm. 
anyway, I'm sure people reading all my all my stuff on Facebook are going, "Oh fuck, this is writing <laughs> <it> again." <laughs> Jesus, everyone's posting all these really happy vacation shots and all these puppy dogs, and there's Chris going on about his depression and his and the loss of his daughter. But ultimately, I think I think it positively. The thing is, I find to make an impact, you got to be polarizing. I'm sure there are people that would just roll their eyes and just go, fuck, get over it. And others are like, wow, I'm going through this. I totally empathize and understand. Uh, thank God that that never happened to me. So I think as many people um, that I may have put off, I think there were probably 10 times that many people that were supportive and and, and, and benefited from a lot of my writing. And did you really care if you put people off? No, I think no. at the end of the day, I, I was going to write it anyway. Yeah. And uh, quite frankly, I didn't give a shit. No. Because like it took me a long, long time to get to that point. But, you know, I think a lot of people get to like you wanted to write it. You wanted to share it. It was going to help people like if some people didn't like it, well, they don't have to read it. Or they can unfriend yeah. you. No, yeah, exactly. I and that was kind of my approach. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing it for. I'm not doing it for likes and shares. I'm. I'm doing it for awareness more than anything else. Is there? I think this is a hard one. Like I, um, I'm just thinking. There's one person in my extended family, a, a cousin of one of my parents, who who past of suicide and you know a friend I had in in elementary and high school that father uh took his own life but if somebody is listening and they have a friend or family member that had lost someone to suicide how did you this might come off the wrong way but how did you like people to address the situation with you like because it's very hard you can just say my condolences, but like, you know, you talk about your loyal friends. What did the people that really were the best supporters at the time do to help? And I know it would be very hard to help, but do you know what I'm getting at? With that question? Yeah, I think, I think people, people fear death. People fear being in a situation like I was in and, yeah. they, and it's unimaginable. Um, and I, I think, and you take two, one of two very different approaches. There's those who don't want to talk about it, don't want to acknowledge it. And, and, and it's, it's not out of disrespect to Maddie or disrespect to me. It, it scares the shit out of them. Yeah. And, and it's kind of their worst fear imagined. And then there's, there are others who, who just kind of go, what do you need? What can I do for you? How can I support you? It's it's talking about Maddie in um, as she'll all, I'll always have three three kids. Mm -hmm. So the challenge is, I, I get into situations where I don't talk about out of the gate. I don't talk about sort of my my daughter um, or my daughter's situation. I. Uh, it, it's because it's someone it, it throws people off 
Yeah. It, it, it changes the context of the conversation. All of a sudden, so, so how many kids do you have? If I said, oh, I have three, but I, one, one, I have two boys and an angel. Like, that's one of those things like, fuck, I'm sorry I asked. Uh, but it's, it, it's, so I'm, I'm very conscious as to putting other people into a, a, an awkward situation or feeling badly because that's not the intent. So I, I typically hold off talking about my daughter um, until I realize that there's a relationship that's going to be established. And it's, it, and it's, it's an important part of understanding who I am. That's typically how, how I, I look to, to that situation. Thank, thanks for sharing. You know, I think, think all of what we just discussed is, is really, you know, you add a lot of value, especially when you were writing and, and people hearing it. I, there's someone who sticks out to me that I know who had a daughter that went through a similar, similar occurrence. And, and fortunately she, she's, she's still here. And, uh, and I don't know much about the situation, but, but thank you for that, Chris. I wanted to ask, how did you, what is, how are you feeling your organization all about? And what are you trying to do and how can people like support in your mission? Cause I, I really liked the mission when I heard about it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm uh, so I, I was asked to talk to a friend of mine's brother. He comes up to me as this, this guy, Trevor Calvert, who I played rugby with um, way back when, and we still see each other quite often. And he goes, he calls me up out of blue and says, Hey, Chris, I know you do a lot of stuff about youth mental health. And my brother does a lot of stuff with youth mental health. You guys should talk. So his brother, Bob, who I didn't know, he was, I think, five, five, or five years older than me. Um, he ended up, uh, he, we ended up talking and he, he put together this program. He, in, in conjunction with this, uh, world-renowned uh, psychotherapist Janice Berger, and uh, they put a program together that deals helps kids deal with their emotions, how they understand, how they how they process, and ultimately how they deal with their emotions before they get into crisis mode. And the problem with so many of our kids today. We, they were taught by largely their parents to kind of suppress or repress and, and, and just move on with your life. And so um, essentially burying some of that emotion. And that emotion comes back and manifests itself in many different ways. And it's usually not good. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's going to be these triggering things. So what we, we created a program, it's, uh, 24, 30-minute episodes, we get involved with 33 evidence-based emotions. And what we do, we do this unique um, unique format in that we use uh, clips from movies and television. Cool. And we, and we wrap narration around it to give it context. And so the kids that have gone through the program are engaged. Yeah. Trying to keep a kid's attention for any amount of time is challenging. As you know, we're just, we're pulled in so many different directions simultaneously. So having this program um, and then the format of, that, it's, that it's set up 
it helps kids to understand it. And the beauty of it is um, I saw it and I was immediately moved by it because there's so many things, so many emotions that I know I haven't dealt with properly that I needed to. So, and that's 57 years of history coming, flooding, flooding back at you. But the kids are, they're so appreciative and we get testimonials from these kids and they just go, wow, this like changed, changed my life. And I wish this, this needs to be part of our, our, of our normal education. So our goal with how are you feeling is to get this thing into, into schools, because quite frankly, that's where we're going to make the biggest impact. And uh, it's such a, an amazing program. I can't say enough good things about it, but I think that that is compounded by the kids who take it and go, wow, this really affected me. And it's, 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 I can't speak enough about it. I've had a lot of people approach me over the last seven plus years after Maddie's death, death to ask me to get involved with, with certain mental health initiatives. And A, emotionally, I wasn't right in the, in the right place to do it. But probably more importantly, there wasn't enough that resonated with me. It wasn't uh. something I could actually wrap my head around uh, enough. How are you feeling? Did that for me. As soon as I saw, I went. They they created this thing. I think started creating it in 2016, and they completed it. They were having some initial conversations with schools, but then the pandemic hit, and it was mm -hmm. basically sitting on a shelf. And I sure. said, "So what are you what are you doing with this thing? We got to get this thing out there." So I came I came on board. I was advising. Um, uh, last fall, and I came on board in official capacity as their executive director in April. Um, so we've we've done volunteer programs with high school students. We've done parent-teacher focus groups. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, we've got um, we've got pilot programs that are happening in schools. We're just trying to have conversations with enough. We started with the private schools initially yes. because yes. navigating the uh, the boards is yes. bureaucratic. Yeah. Yep. Private schools are certainly more nimble, uh, certainly more accountable to parents. And they also, they have their check boxes uh, because parents go, what are you doing with, uh, what are you doing for mental health or social emotional learning? Oh, and we've got this, 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 and this. And often we're discovering it's more an appeasement than anything else. They just so they can check a box. Um, but most of these kids, private school and public schools that have gone through our program, most of them, like 95% of them say that what we're learning in school about our emotions is completely inadequate for what we need in life. Hmm. So... And Chris, how, if somebody's listening to this and they either work at a school board, they work at a private school, they want to help as a donor or a corporate partner in some way, yep. what's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, email me, um, chris.coulter at howareyoufeeling.com, or you can try myself. 
416-209-6837. Our website, howareyoufeeling.org, is uh, there should by today have a donate button on it because uh, we are a registered charity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, those would probably be the b- best way of doing it. And if we're still running our volunteer program, so if kids want to go through and learn about their, uh, learn about emotional awareness, um, which I think is probably one of the initial toolkits in your, for emotional intelligence in these kids, they can still register with friends. Um, we're still pushing kids through the volunteer program. They'll get volunteer po- uh, hours in the process, but I think more importantly, they'll walk away with such a, a much better understanding of their of their emotional self. That's fantastic, and I really hope people take the time to listen to that point. And uh, you know, maybe a year or two from now, we can have another conversation on the podcast about how it's going because I just believe in believe in what you're trying to accomplish. I got three questions to wrap it up quick, Chris. I call these the zigzag questions because life, yeah. you know, is a zigzag. Um, you know, you can answer in a phrase or two, but what drives you, Chris, and continues to get you out of bed every morning to just exist and do what you do what you want to do? Great question. I think I think you have to do everything you do has to be done with passion. Mm-hmm. I think you've got to be passionate about what you do. I think the other important importance is you, you always have to be curious. I think you just, you have to, you always have to use the word why. Why, why, why is that? Why, why do we do things a certain way? And then the other thing I think is you have to, you want to make a difference. And I, I truly believe, especially um especially with how are you feeling i think um we're making a huge difference and i've tried to so we talked about the finish line group earlier so what i've done is i've kind of i've morphed my business yet again we i talk to business owners about what happens if they sell their business and what we do is we try to minimize their taxes and largely what we do is we promote strategic philanthropy to be able to do that so you can Mm. pay c you can pay cra or you can pay a charity and at the end of the day we can make it so that it's it's net net neutral so um and i i've never heard an entrepreneur say i want to pay more taxes and just as a clarity point you're still very much running the finish line group and that's a business you're that people can still get in touch with you about is that correct (laughs) I still have bills to pay. So as long as I still have bills to pay, I still have a, a, a profit yielding organization. Yeah. I just, I just like the way we've kind of, kind of dovetailed and tried to integrate um, the two entities as much as possible. Just because it's just like, you got to be congruent in your life too, right? You can't, it's impossible. I find it's impossible for me anyway, to keep your personal and your business lives completely separate. I agree. So if, yeah. you, if, if you can, if you can actually dovetail them in some way, shape or form, it makes it easier. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. So I, uh, I like, be, I like being kind and easy on myself. So. Is there anything from uh, usually I say in your twenties or early thirties, but uh, you can talk about any time in your life. Is there anything you, 
regret or not necessarily your regret, but you definitely learned from? I think encourage, encourage yourself to make, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Perfection isn't an achievable benchmark. And mistakes are encouraged provided that you learn something from them and you don't repeat them. I, I completely agree with you, but I'd love you to debate with few perfectionists on the perfectionism and achievable benchmark. <laughs> Chris, the last question. Um, is there anything, usually I say 20, mid 30, early 30s again, but maybe this for you is like, you know, one or two years after um, Maddie passed on and became an angel. Is there anything you would tell your younger self, whether that's in your 20s or whether that was 2017, Chris? Try to impress no one but yourself. Mm. I think wow. uh, at the end of the day, you're the guy that you're the only guy faces yourself every single day, every morning and every night. So use yourself as that benchmark. If, if you impress yourself, then that's a good thing. That's great. Well, Chris, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Good to chat. What did you take away from our chat today? I'd love to know. Let me know on Instagram at it's not a straight line or connect with me on LinkedIn. If this episode was helpful, would you mind leaving me a review on whatever podcast app you use? I'd really appreciate it. You can always go back to previous episodes to hear more insightful conversations to help you build your own unique life. Thanks for listening to It's Not a Straight Line. Until next time.